0: Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world?
1: Welcome to another episode of the CIO Evolution I'm your host, Chris Jablonski, director of CXO Revolutionaries and Community. Despite all the hype, the world of generative AI is only getting more interesting. Apple is eyeing its first AI acquisition to help it apply models to publicly sourced video data without breaching privacy law, while an Italian data protection authority has deemed OpenAI's ChatGPT to be in breach of data protection rules. And these are just a few of the many AI headlines this week. Over on the enterprise side, CIOs continue to struggle to balance the risks of using AI against those of not using it. Recently, two of the industry's leading voices in cybersecurity and digital transformation shared their insights for securely enabling artificial intelligence. Shamim Mohammed, Executive Vice President, CIO, and CTO, At CarMax, joined Greg Simpson, a Zscaler advisor and former CTO of Synchrony Financial for a virtual panel hosted by Kavita Mariupan, Executive Vice President of Customer Experience and Transformation at Zscaler. They addressed how to set up transparent governance of AI initiatives while incorporating risk management. They covered how AI is already turning into a general purpose tool already widely used in organizations, both sanctioned and as shadow IT, and what all that means for leadership today. I was intrigued by how CarMax put AI into use to drive business value, such as delivering high quality customer experiences. Enjoy the recording, and please subscribe to the CIO Evolution if you haven't already done so, and share this episode with your network. Thank you.
2: To kick it off, uh, Greg and Shimeem, welcome.
3: Thanks. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Um, Shimeem, let's kind of start with you. Um, You know, AI has left the browser, and it is now everywhere, extremely pervasive. Um, just a couple of weeks ago at CES, I think it was evident, you know, every presentation touched upon AI and it was not about just about every product category from PCs to appliances to cars um, and, you know, uh, right down to, you know, new, uh, talking about new Gen I models and NPU processes were a massive focus. Um, so what's your take on what we've seen in 2023 that promised to be the year of AI? And now as it appears to move forward, more and more as a general purpose technology in, in kind of broader industry and community.
4: Yeah, the 2023 was the year of AI. However, as all of us know, AI has been going on for a long time, right? We've all been working with AI, where AI has been incorporating a lot of our technologies we've been using behind the scene. But what made a big difference in 2023 is the um, debut of ChatGPT. So the AI became mainstream and what is the biggest uh, profound change is really the how the GNI changed the human and computer interaction model. That's really what changed and that change is going to continue. In my 30 plus years of career uh, in technology, I've never seen anything uh, becoming so popular so quickly and gaining so much momentum. So a lot of excitement in 2023, but I think that momentum will continue and we'll see a lot more innovation in 2024. And, you know, Gen AI and AI as a whole bring a lot of possibilities, a lot of exciting opportunities to change the human uh, uh, possibility, you know, work, how we work, how we live, how we get things done. I think it also comes with a lot of risk. So it's really the balancing the possibilities with the risk is what we have to be very cognizant of and manage very carefully into 2024 and beyond.
2: No, I think that's that's you know pretty profound, right? If you think about it, the last massive revolution like this that we all kind of went through or lived through was the creation of the internet and then the possibilities that that created and and the the downside and the risks that it presented, right? And I think with 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 AI in general AI has been around, as you said, since the '50s. But it's it's just the element of the human machine cognition and interaction that is so sophisticated now that we're able to really harness what AI can do for us. You know, uh, in terms of the application of like sophisticated machine learning algorithms. Um, so, Greg, I wanted to ask you, right, from your experience as a CTO, you know, with, with large organizations, as GE and Synchrony and and, and, you know, the decades of experience that you have, you know, you have some insight on the impact of generative AI um, and you know, what it has had on creative work and what do you believe, you know, there is to come. Anything different you see from, you know, the yesteryear to the last year to what's coming? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest
3: uh, impacts on creative work, it, it was the writer strike. You know, so who would have thought that the invention of ChatGPT in November of 2022 would result in Hollywood going on strike in September of 2023. You know, it was was a pretty dramatic result from a technology being introduced as a prototype to an industry saying, wait a minute, we're on strike. So the creative world has been very anxious about the capabilities. And for good reason, if you look at the output of something like mid-jury, version one versus mid journey version 5.1 or now even mid journey 6.0 went from very poor drawing of a human's face to photographic realistic you know you can't tell it's not a photograph um so the the rate of change in the rate of change of the capability is is probably the most dramatic thing and now it's not just text generation and image generation now it's working its way into video generation so outside of the creative field, if you're worried about, hey, I need some marketing images. Wow, talk about a productivity increase. You can just, you don't need to go do a big photo shoot. Just tell uh, one of your favorite image generation programs to generate the view that you want of the living room you need for your ad, and there it is. Um, so the capabilities are, are getting better faster and faster. And You know, that's that's resulted in some ramp up of legal cases, right. How do we do this in a way that uh, respects copyright and so on. So a lot, a lot of interesting work in the creative space for sure. A
2: lot of intersectionality here with intellectual property rights protection and and then, you know, and and privacy, right. You know, what's out there. It's AI generating what it's generating and, and infringing upon intellectual property rights, but also uh, how pervasive it is, and in terms of privacy considerations. I mean, it's you know one thing about AI. I think in general, and generative AI specifically, is it's, it's a fairly academic, you know, philosophical conversation, right? Really gets into so many interesting areas. Uh, for purposes of our, our discussion today, though, I wanted to hone in on you know the roles that you you both have and had, and and, and the conversations and 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 you know discussions that you're you're part of, and the companies that you're leading. Um, let's talk about turning AI, you know, turning to AI at work, right? And and what services, Shami, I'm gonna start with you. What's AI services and and and, and capabilities are you all making available at CarMax? Um, and then you know, what guidelines and, and guardrails are we setting, You are you setting up as an organization in terms <clears throat> of use um and abuse, right? As, as as we think about it and kind of reducing the risk from shadow AI uh or just you know, really um Inadvertent usage that is meant with good, good in good faith that could could present risk to the organization.
4: Yeah, kavita I think uh, yeah, a comment uh, Greg made kind of interesting. You know, the the ChatGPT um, end of 2022 is when sort of uh, got the attention and it uh, skyrocketed from there. But at Carmax, actually, we've been using OpenAI and ChatGPT probably at least a year before that. So our teams actually have been experimenting and testing and finding ways to leverage whatever technology is out there to drive great experience. So we were, we're actually an early adopter as it relates to GNAI and probably one of the best early use cases, business use case um, of using GNAI for uh, driving true business experience. So that's something I think uh, my, our team, uh, is very proud of that work they did. But it's not just an anomaly, right? What happens is, as an organization at CarMax, We've been very laser focused on customer experience. We believe that everything revolves around the experience, whether it's for the customers or even for the associates. So our technology decisions we make and uh, how our teams work really are focusing on driving that experience. Now, Gen AI happens to be one of the technology that's allowing us to really create differentiated, highly advanced, competitive experience, and we're leveraging that. Now, in terms of risk, uh, definitely it comes with risk. And uh, we, what we've done is we, we had a pretty good uh, robust foundation around data, data governance, data privacy, education, quality, all those things. So we basically built upon on that experience and capability, and we put a very strong AI governance. And the part of the AI governance is not necessarily shut down anybody using GenAI, but more around, hey, we want to use Gen AI to drive business outcome. But let us help you. Let us you know, educate ourselves. Let's make sure we know what are the pitfalls, what are the opportunities, and stick current. So this governance model really helped us or is helping us to ensure that we take advantage and elaborate the power of you know, GenAI or AI evolution. While minimizing our risk of all the downside, so the, gen, the, the gen, uh, AI governance model is very cross-functional. It's very hierarchical. We have, you know, starting with me, senior-level engagement. We have cross-functional team at different levels. Mm-hmm. We have actually a group within the governance model. Um, they review every use case that somebody wants to. You, uh, take advantage of whether it's, a, it's something we want to create or some, something that we may want to take advantage of one of our you know, platforms or, or technology partner, third party. So, those use cases we evaluate and we provide guidance to the, our teams in terms of how to best approach it. So, we have taken this approach of empowering the users. Uh, they know their mission, they know their business outcome goals. But we want to give them the tools and capability and education training so that they feel supported and we also minimize our risk of some of the downfalls of uh, you know, using AI, privacy, security, being responsible, those things. So it's been fairly effective, uh, I think, but it's rooted to the culture of the company, right? We we create a transparent environment where we encourage people or uh, teams to come and tell us what they're doing versus, hey, try to do something in the high, behind the scenes, a shadow because they, they don't feel like they can get the support. So they're having the transparency AI governance model and continuous education, I think is the way we are minimizing the uh, downside of AI risk
2: oh, this is good to hear right I mean I, I would be curious to hear kind of what interesting you know, use cases people talk about it and we say yep yeah, you know we're, we're allowing for it but if there's any interesting use cases or any that you could potentially share uh, yes. that you are seeing you know tremendous outcomes or impact uh, with the use of generative AI.
4: Absolutely. I think you know the, the one that we talk about publicly and there's case studies done on this is really around customer reviews and uh, vehicle information. At any given moment, we may have 40, 50, 60,000 cars on our website and every make model is very unique so, and they're changing. So how do we provide a meaningful uh, set of information that's available and it's easy to read way to the, our customers, so they can make the best decision for their car. So you're using actually chat GPT function with our internal data in a hybrid way uh, to create and organize and structure those data about those cars and then making it available on the website, okay. making it much more easier for our customers to shop. The other thing we, we are also using JNI uh, for is customer reviews. We have reviews from our customers on our website but those are like different, right? Different studies, very open form. So, what we are doing is using ChatGPT and OpenAI platform, using our actual customer reviews, but using that information to organize the reviews in a way and summarize in a way that's easier for a customer to look at when they're looking at a particular car. Now, by just this simple, this is one of the many use cases, but this use case is allowing us to take something that would have taken probably 10, 12 years for a number of content writers to organize this information, we're able to do it in days. Now we have, uh, because of our AI governance and the process we have in place, a human in the loop, this information is not just getting published automatically. We actually are incorporating some of our responsible AI and guidance and core principles of safe use of AI so that this information is, we can stand behind it, it meets our standard and it keeps us, you know, make sure we're at the forefront in terms of using uh, responsible AI although we are using AI to generate all this content. So that's one example. But the other idea is I would say quickly, you know, pricing, how we price cars, we're using AI algorithms, where uh, digital merchandising, how the cards are organized and pictures taken, those kind of things. We, we're doing a lot of great algorithm machine learning technologies to optimize all of those processes within the company. And that's helping our uh, internal associates. Uh, the last use cases around code generation. A lot of my engineers are actually experimenting and 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 using the uh, Gen AI capability to generate codes, and that's a huge. Uh, I'm excited about that because, as you know, there's a scarcity of software engineers everywhere. So if you can free up some time, and yeah. uh, and and you know, 10, 20, 30 percent of their time and generating code through Gen AI capability, they can actually do free the, use the time to do other things and right. grow more. Uh, you know, cool cool things that uh, they, they, they can deliver. So I mean, cool most goals.
2: of us know, like the massive data sets, ETL is where you spend most of your time, right? And so if you're freeing up your data engineers to, to be able to actually work on more productive and you know, impactful things, then mm-hmm. then that's awesome. I mean, and, and Greg, I wanted to, this, this is great, I Thank you for sharing those use cases because I think it, it kind of just, you know, sets the context for what we're really talking about. Greg, you know, picking up from where Shamim left, Shamim left off in terms of like, the broad swath of use cases, right there, from from you know multimodal, multimedia, um, you know different types of use cases. You know we all know turning a lot of this data into you know a uniform input, right, so that you know you can perform the ETL that you need to perform, um, and for for you know the right questions to be asked for these algorithms to 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 do the work that they need to do is fairly tedious and time-consuming, and you know not done right, not training the model right, it's going to result in. A ton of false positives, right? So, any guidance from you, um, your thoughts around kind of, you know, we know it's an essential step. But like, as an executive, as a CIO, as a CISO, as a CTO, what should CXOs be thinking about, and to help frame kind of the cost-benefit analysis around some of these new sanctioned AI projects? Because if you're not sanctioning it, it's happening. So,
3: yeah, there's a, there's an old saying: if you're if you're not early, you're late. This is the kind of technology mm-hmm. where it's really hard to be right on time and say, well, should I jump in now or? If you don't jump in now, you're gonna be late. This technology is, is going at such a fast pace. You can use it today. And as Shamim said, with a human in the loop, you can, you, there are real use cases that are valuable impacts right now. Software generation is a great example. Your people are seeing 50% improvement in productivity for software developers that use Gen AI versus don't use Gen AI. These tools are already out there and available. Copilot from Microsoft, for example, for for code generation is a great uh, platform for for developers. There's a lot of tools that work right now. In terms of the data, um, the good news is it doesn't have to be that hard. The AI can learn from unstructured data. The key is for people to get a handle around their data and know what data they have in their business and in their industry that's valuable to them so they can use it Um, even before Gen AI you know getting a hold of all your data and using it for machine learning was a very valuable use case for AI so and in many cases the machine learning didn't need highly structured data it can work across unstructured data sets and they, but the key was to get your arms around all that data and make all that data available so at synchrony for example we built a data lake uh, a number of years ago and that data lake, uh, was really foundational to our ability to launch our initial AI efforts. Because our AI for efforts, you know, the, the data is like the food that you feed it with. And that's yeah. true with generative AI as well. And the good news is for generative AI, there are tools right now that you can say, here's a URL, please go pull all the information for that URL and make it something that I can train my model on automatically. Say, here's the URL. So, for example, if you've got a bunch of benefits administrators that answer questions on your benefits, and you've got all that documented on a website, you could say, well, here's the website. Now, instead of three benefits administrators answering these questions, I'm going to have one, human in the loop. And guess what? These chatbots can answer these questions. And uh, a lot of the work that's being done right now, they're they're actually seeing more empathy from the chatbots than they are from the humans, because the humans... Or often, you know, if you think about the medical profession, the doctor's got five minutes to see you. He's got to get in and get out, get the data, move on. Chatbot's got all day. It can talk to you and and take questions and listen to your concerns and and gather a lot of that data and provide feedback. And then the doctor can use all that summarized data that was collected to then be able to walk in with the information they need and, and make the diagnosis. So again, the humans in the loop. You want the doctor involved in the diagnosis, but the chatbot could be the bedside manner that you want to, to help get the information necessary to pro- provide the, physici- the physician the data they need to, to move forward. You know, one of the comments in the chat was, "Wow, maybe we'll have uh, generative AI that can listen into these these calls." And in, in fact, that exists today, right? So you can already listen into your meetings and summarize them when you when they're done and so those minutes can get published. And you know, one of the big things I pushed at Synchrony was <clears throat> smaller meetings, only have the people in the meeting that really need to be there. There's a lot of people that wanna to come to the meeting just because they wanna hear what's going on. Well, if you've got a tool that's listening and summarizing and publishing the three big bullets and actions that came out of the meeting, those other six people that came to just to listen can read those six bullets in about 30 seconds and free up an hour from your calendar. So. So these tools are, are already out there they're being used if you're not using them and finding ways to use them in your business you're already falling behind so I just encourage you to get started
2: awesome no this is good um, let me let me shift so with all the good stuff that's happening um, and she you know has point I mean both of you have shared a, 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 a you know, broad range of use cases and and, and policies uh, programs initiatives that you're putting in, you know you've put in place you've seen people put in place um, that naturally changes the dynamic of the organization and the structure of how we're managing IT and and security policies, right? How we're you know creating new policies and and enforcing new policies. Um, I wanted to kind of you know, ask you this question around, have you seen kind of the dynamic or the roles or the responsibilities of the budget even shifting between you know IT and security in terms of how you're going to manage some of these ongoing you know, an emerging sort of cybersecurity strategy, right? Um, that's one. Um, have you seen the threat vector also shift a little bit because you've had, you know, you know these new technologies? So based on that, what kind of new policies are you starting to form as a result of this? One is in- allowing them is one thing, but it's like, let's let's talk about what we're seeing that's in- incoming, What's, let's talk about the telemetry that we're seeing, um, you know, both around you know, uh, threat mitigation as well as you know, data loss prevention.
4: Yeah, I think in the um, the the in terms of the um, just the protecting the data and cybersecurity, all this thing, I, I think it's just it's an evolution, right? It's really evol- evolving, and this AI concept or conversation is not really a, I, I think at the rudimentary level, it's not a technology issue. It's a technology enabler and causing this, it's instigating it. But ultimately, it's a business strategy, business conversation, and so this has to be at the visibility from the top level all the way across the organization. So that's really the approach we have taken. Um, the cybersecurity and policy and and technology stuff. I think the main thing we're looking at is it's really evolution of a lot of things we had in place already. Um, you know, we know that you know the threat vectors are increasing. I mean, you know that uh, even before AI. But AI is really creating that, those threats exponentially more. And so what's really important is making sure that the policy and private, you know, governance we had in place around cybersecurity management and you know, data governance, all those things, evolving it and tailoring it to incorporate some of the newer challenges that come with JDI and AI. Um, and, and again, uh, and it's and a very cross-functional way uh, to have a look at this. I think one of the important thing uh, we're seeing is uh, the, the, the cybersecurity awareness and training that has always been important, but in that training, we need to incorporate what are the additional risks that are coming in this new, new um, AI age. And then from the partner ecosystem, this is where we're, you know, we need, we cannot, not, not, not a single organization can uh, manage all the emerging threats from, uh, that's coming from AI, Gen AI, because obviously it's a, a, exponential growth there. These are a partner like Gscaler, right? That's innovating and has a global footprint, understanding where all the threats are coming from. And being able to leverage a partner like that is really absolutely critical. A lot more critical now than probably it was even a couple of years ago, because it's around you know, d- 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 uh, DLP, right? It's around uh, information risk. It's about protecting and making sure that you are training your users so, they know what to do and not to do, but people make mistakes without knowing. So, being able to monitor and prevent or remind them. I think one of the capabilities in GSKiller is the inline reminder, right? So, when, for example, at CarMax, when somebody uses our device to go to a website, there's a chat GPT, there's a screen that pops up. It gives them like three, four line reminder of what to do or not to do. Uh, or if somebody can share, share, share some information uh, that they're not supposed to, right? And then it, there's a reminder. So, we have those automatic protection in addition to human and making sure uh, they're trained, they're educated and they're staying current to all the threats. But the partnership between you know, CIO, the technology, the CISO across the company is a lot more important now than it probably has ever been, just because it is a collective effort for the whole organization. It's not just one team. It's not just a CISO's role or it's not just CIO's role. It's all of our role to ensure we're staying current, staying educated and taking right measures to protect and manage our business.
2: Team sport. I'd I'd like to throw in
3: two more points in that space, I think, because it's a really important point. I think, one, you know, even for for years now, phishing has been 80% of the major breach problems, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is generative AI is going to make phishing better, right? So it's, you know, you're not going to be able to look for all the little spelling errors the words are going to be actually well written and it's going to sound really important. So I think things like phishing, we just have to we have to train our users to resist the fish, resist the click on those links that they're not aware of. So so that's that's a good example where it's the same threat, but it's improving through generative AI. The place where it's getting maybe even more difficult are things like signatures. Right. So if you can generate malware. Now I can say, well, let's generate a thousand different variations of this malware so that it doesn't, it's not picked up with that signature. Now I need a thousand signatures to find all the different variations of this malware. So that's an area where it's, where it's a compounding, you know, in terms of the number of threats out there. So there's some real threats with generative AI, but often, you know, it's the same sort of protections that we need, like phishing education. So uh, just a couple quick points on that space I wanted to throw
2: in. No, I think you you you, you know you went exactly where i was going to go in terms of like signatures and and you know iterations around these signatures right with just minor coding changes and what that what problems that pose um to summarize i think like you know from what both of you have said user awareness training we need to keep going we need to we don't take the user awareness training from last year and go everybody do it it's your certified certified are compliant you kind of almost have to evolve your user awareness training to encompass some of the latest, you know, threats that are, that are pervasive or persistent. I think that's one fine grained policy definition. Shamim, like what you said, and then the ability to enforce that um, so that people don't feel like, oh my God, I did something bad. This is, if I'm seeing things, I, I need to be educated and you need to create that close feedback loop where they're part of kind of the, you know, your part of keeping the organization safe, right? I think this is and often I think a lot of our user awareness training comes from up above it's cookie cutter. You do it, you get your certification, you get access to the systems. I think we really need to start thinking about that. Like, like you said, Greg there, the uh, landscape is shifting really quickly. And, you know, we, we don't even know after I get certified and you know, and I've got 12 months of user awareness training that allows me to get access to the systems. What new threat vectors are you going to you know, be present in three or six months. Um, so how, how do we create that level of like vigilance, joint vigilance? Right. Um, and then the third, I mean, one of the things you said was also about, um, joint design partnership, working with your ecosystem and your, and your vendors and your partners where you're co-innovating. Right. And I think this is where the, no, one's got this figured out. No, one's Mm -hmm. got, yep, These are the exact policies that work. These are the exact, you know, processes that work. Everyone's saying, we're going to ring fence some of this. We're going to allow. This to flourish in a controlled environment, we're gonna learn from it and then we're going to implement um, you know, uh, policies where we think things are things look nefarious or not, right? Um, and, and continue to to work on this. But I think joint design partnership plays a huge role where you're working with your vendors in terms of the telemetry you're seeing and, you know, and specifics to use cases so that people can also develop products and platforms and technologies and solutions. That start to address some of this, so that kind of open information or information sharing um, is is critical. Um, we're kind of coming to almost the end in the last few minutes, so I wanted to I wanted to ask a couple of other questions, um, and I'll just throw it out to both of you. Um, let's start with let's look at a couple of questions from the audience here. Um, we talked about data loss already. Um, AI capabilities. Let's um, talk about continuing to cover an expanding set of knowledge work. So we talked you both have kind of touched upon lots of use cases. Uh, What types of work in the enterprise do you see it being most susceptible to AI disruption? Kind of a left field question. But
3: yeah,
4: I think, you know, it's I think every role will have some impact. I think even at the role of my CIO or CTO role, I think I think I think there are things uh, as Greg was mentioning, like uh, some like Office or co-pilot. I mean, my job, all of our job will somehow be enhanced or sub- impacted. I think the biggest one is going to be like customer service roles um, or call center roles or even software engineering roles. And anywhere uh, we can use GI to generate codes or automate or uh, create efficiency and, and better experience, I think those roles are going to get impacted. But at the same time, I think what's exciting is there's going to be a lot of new roles created. Like we need more AI engineers. We need more data engineers. And those type of roles, we're going to see a huge demand. And we need to make sure where we can create and uh, cultivate those talent. That's a
2: good point.
3: Yeah, with generative AI, really every employee can become more productive. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. enabling your employees to leverage these tools, some of your best employees are already doing it, even if you sort of blocked it down inside. They're going outside trying these tools out. And learning how to do things, and they're generating agendas. And they're, they're generating, you know, marketing blurbs. They're, they're generating whatever they need. They're generating PowerPoint pitches automatically, and then, and then editing them. So with the human in the loop, you can you can enable your best employees to become more productive today, and that's across any number of functions, whether it's sales and marketing or engineering, software engineering for sure with the coding. So. So I think uh, enabling people, you, you're at a bigger risk if you don't enable these tools for your employees than if, you, than if you do. And there are a number of ways to enable them in a safe fashion to protect your data. You know Whether you use Microsoft in a, in a private tenant or you know, in the extreme case, you go get SambaNova, dedicated hardware in your data center to run a private open source model. I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to protect your data and, and use these tools effectively in your businesses today?
2: You know, I think that's that's um, that's, that's accurate because I think for, if we've learned anything at all that, and, you know, when SaaS applications started proliferating, sanctioning folks to use only private applications in your data center was never going to <coughs> work. People were going to use the convenience of SaaS applications. Shadow IT was, you know, was and did happen, right? So yeah. I think we've learned anything from that. We we learned that this is a good thing. And with good comes the other risks. And um this is this is gonna push us. I mean, I'd love to be able to sit here 12 months from now and see what 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 has transpired, right? And what we've all learned and collectively seen. Um yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lot
3: older than you. I remember, you know, when VisiCalc was introduced, when I was a co-op student at a manufacturing plant and they were taking data and big paper ledgers. And I came in as a co-op student and said, well, there's a, you know, this computer over in the corner that nobody uses, it's got VisiCalc, I could do this. you know." And suddenly I walk into the manufacturing weekly meeting with reports and graphs and all this data, and they were just like, there's a wizard from the future here. I think generative AI is the same thing. The wizard from the future is here. The people that use it are going to get some incredibly productive things done that people are going to be surprised at. And so take advantage of it because it's going to be commonplace. Very, very quickly, much faster than the spreadsheet was
2: adopted. No, totally. And I think demystifying, you know, this this threat around the fact that AI is going to take away jobs. Innovation is going to continue to make us more productive, right? And I think that's that's part of the growth of of, of us as a community and an industry to embrace that, like like what Shameen said is yes, yeah, some some highly laborious, you know, roles maybe maybe May go away because of automation, high levels of automation. But that just means it creates and presents the opportunity for us to retrain and 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 you know become productive knowledge workers, right? Rather than um, you know doing manual work that could have really been done through through AI, This you know speed ups that AI and a lot of the processing technologies out there enable today. Um, so based on that, gentlemen, I want to thank you for you know joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedules um hopefully our audience found this to be um, as as interesting and inspiring as as we did i certainly did um and you know given that we've observed you know since the launch of OpenAI's ChatGPT chat gpt last year generative ai and large language models um definitely look poised to make you know Every employee, and enterprise, uh, whether you know or, or organization, whether it's in the private, public sector, more productive um, in some way or another. But I think it's understated. We need to obviously keep our eyes out for the risks that are going to be associated with it, and and plan for how we're going to mitigate these risks. Um, often, hopefully, before we're presented with these risks. Um, but I think we're we'll getting you know today, if anything, presented us with an opportunity to look at what the possibilities are with with the use cases and. And opportunities that we all have, um, you know, in, in the space that we all work in. How how fantastic is that that we get to go do this for a living every day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and right. and create technology. So, um, with that, to all of you who have joined us, thank you so much for spending time with us. And um, until we see you um, next month or in a couple of weeks for our next Executive Connect Live, you take care and stay safe, everyone.
0: Great, thank thanks. You. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties. Express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.